0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yeah, I just want to, before we start, just affirm you know what Maria said. Just as he spoke, you know, got kind of like this. Indication of many times we stare at water and wonder why we are still thirsty. Interesting, and that makes no sense. So as we come to God, let's not just look at the water, but let's partake. And as we're gonna go through this specific text tonight, just maybe a couple of disclaimers before we start. We're gonna look at Colossians 3 from verse 18 to 21, continuing with our sermon series through the book of Colossians. And we're gonna look at the gospel in our homes the gospel in our homes. And just as we look at that text, the disclaimer beforehand, I don't think there is an area or a topic more sensitive than this one. I don't think there's a place where we've maybe experienced, maybe as human beings just in general, more hurt than at this place. There's no place that has been more foundational to our growth and upbringing than this place. And maybe for some of us we're thinking, no, you know, that couldn't be true because we didn't have a home. And that's what I mean by that. We were still raised by someone in certain circumstances with people having an influence in our lives. And it shaped and it forms us. And for some of us there's been a lot of trauma, maybe hurt, some stuff that we had to go through, work through. And for some of us, we might say, you know, no, that that doesn't influence me at all because there was a certain stage in my life where I said, I'm not gonna allow that to influence me anymore. I'm gonna cut that off, I'm gonna forget that. But just that response shows how much that actually impacted us. To get to a place where we have to actually say something like that or go through something like that. And also very important that when we go through this, there's inevitably a response needed. A response from our side, the response to the people maybe around us as we're going to deal with a number of different aspects fathers, mothers, parents, children, husbands, and the things that we may be experienced and not. But very importantly, what God expects of us is firstly to take the beam out of our own eye. So as we go through this text, let's focus first on ourselves the things that we maybe got wrong, did wrong, responded maybe wrongly and allow God to come and work with us, extend grace and forgiveness towards us so that when we go to remove the speck, we can see clearly, we can do it out of grace and love. But that inevitably has to happen as well. Now God says, don't remove the beam so that you can just look at the speck in your brother's eye. No, but when we remove it, we can see more clearly. That still has to happen there's still a conversation that's needed. So let's do that, but let's first look at ourselves. Secondly, the thing that I also wanna say is that as we go through the gospel in our homes, there's a couple of facets, specifically maybe in the evening service. There's not many of us that's maybe married or have children already. So there's kind of a tendency when we get to certain parts to maybe just like zone out because this isn't specific, specific to me. I'm not a father or a mother yet. Maybe we're living not in our parents' home anymore, so we think, you know, this old children thing doesn't apply to us anymore. But inevitably, we are not just called to receive for ourselves. We are called, as we saw through the book, to also instruct and correct one another in love. So we also receive so that we can walk in a road of accountability and discipleship with the people around us as well, to receive so that we can lead and teach others as well. Thirdly, also as a church, we relate to one another as family. We read in 1 Timothy 5 is 1, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but correct him as you would a father. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, younger men as brothers. So we relate to one another also in that way. And specifically in a couple of weeks, we could also take a look at parenting. Now, Maybe for a couple of us, okay, well we, hopefully still a lot of us you know, is going there, you know, we want to get there, amen. Amen. Some people just thought, well, we're a couple of steps behind. There's some stuff that needs to happen before we can think about that. But nonetheless, we're going there. But also, a process of raising children also gives us a bit of an indication of how to do discipleship well. As we also walk with one another. So these things apply to many areas of life. So as we speak about them, let's not zone out. Okay. Let me pray for us and then we dive in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you are here tonight, Lord. Holy Spirit, busy, working in hearts. And we pray by grace, Lord, that this is a very sensitive topic, Father, very confrontational many times. That we would look into the mirror, Lord, as Scripture says. The word being a mirror, Father. And sometimes we see, Lord, things that we wish weren't there. But tonight we pray by grace, Lord, may we not look away. May we deal with it. May we not justify ourselves. May we not blame those around us. Do they influence us? Yes. But that's not the call, Lord, of what you've called us to do and to be. You are the one that enables, Lord. For that we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that everything you call us to do, you've set the example for us. We have a high priest that is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but in every way, was tempted as we were yet without sin. So we can come to you, Lord, boldly to receive help in time of need. And thank you, Lord, that we can acknowledge that every single day is a time of need. We need you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, enabling us. And giving the desire in us, Lord, to obey you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so just a quick thing that I wanna mention as we've worked through this book, specifically when it comes to the specific text, we kind of wanna focus on relationships and certain things and isolate the text. But as we've seen through these last couple of months, that everything kind of bears on the interpretation of the text that follows. We have to consider the text in the book that it's in. And just to quickly remind ourselves of what this book has taught us quickly is that when we truly believe the true gospel, it immediately produces faith, hope, and love. And it does so increasingly. So, as we consider this topic tonight as well, we want to ask the question is this in my life, and is it increasingly so? Is it increasing in my life? What does faith, hope, and love mean? And we've looked at it now in community last week, and we're going to look at that now in the home specifically, how that looks like to live out the gospel in our homes, and to ask ourselves that question. And maybe before we jump in, I want to ask us a couple of questions. And the first question is, how is the gospel currently shaping your home? Maybe for those who grew up in a certain place and we're not living with our parents maybe anymore, how has the gospel shaped your homes? How has it shaped it? Maybe if you're sitting here single tonight as well, the question that we can ask ourselves is, how has it shaped our lives? How has the gospel shaped our lives? For those of us who've maybe been in relationships or in a home or a specific context, and after that we got saved, how did that change when we got saved? How did that form our homes? How did that impact us? What does it change? And is it doing that increasingly? And maybe to help us to ask the question the other way around, because we're sitting in church... And many times we get confused about what the answer is and what it in reality is. Same with desires, we know what we should desire, but that doesn't mean we do desire that. We know what we should do or should be busy with, but that doesn't mean we are busy with those things. So we would like to say, no man, it, it influences everything. It shapes everything. And as we saw last week, if the gospel is at the core of who we are, then it should shape everything the thing that we desire most, or the thing in life that we worship most, will shape our lives the most. The thing that's at the very center of our identity, it will influence everything about us. So it's not whether we want to be formed or not, it's what are we allowing to form us? Who are we allowing to form us? The things that we desire most and worship most. So if that is the gospel, then the answer should be everything. But now to ask it in the reverse way, if we should remove the gospel today from our homes, what would change and why? If we decided right now we're not going to serve God anymore, what would change and why? Some of us like, well, we wouldn't be here right now. That makes sense. But hopefully that's not the only thing. I think in some stages of our lives, regarding where we are, the effect of passivity in our lives, many times we come to the realization, shucks, if I'm really honest with myself, maybe only Sunday night would change. Sunday night and maybe Wednesday night. Be two events type of things that I don't go to, but I think the rest would kind of still maybe look the same. Many times we focus specifically on character because that's like an easy opt out. I think if we would remove the gospel right now, if we would stop serving God right now, there'd be less grace, less forgiveness, less mercy, less compassion. And yes, that's so, but also practically. What would practically change? You see, because if character is the only thing that changes, we think the gospel is there to make us better people so that we can still live out our own will for our lives. Still build our own kingdom, just do it with some better character attached to us. That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the goal of the gospel. It's not the aim of what God came and did. But with he transforming our character is also what we live for. When we came to Christ, we denied ourselves, took up our cross, followed in. So there goes my ambition, my will, my plans, and I've now embraced God's plans for my life. So I'm actively busy building his kingdom, pursuing his purpose. And if I'm actually doing that, if I stopped doing that, a lot would change. Not only character wise, but practically as well. But not only influence what I do, but also why I do certain things. Amen? With that in mind, let's take a look at these four verses and see what we can learn. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting. In the Lord husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged and to remind ourselves now that the previous verse verse 17 said whatever we do in word and deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him what does the name of Jesus mean for Jesus like Jesus, in line with the will of Jesus, motivated by a love for Jesus. It's for Jesus. So everything we do in word and deed, let it be for Jesus, motivated by Jesus, a love for Jesus. And this is that as well. And the one thing that we should note is the motivation for living in this way. What produces this kind of lifestyle? Very important for us to note. We see two times here in these four verses, but then in the rest of the text as well around it. As is fitting in the Lord. Wives live this way because this is fitting in the Lord. If you are in Christ, then He expects of us to live this way. Children, for this pleases the Lord. This is pleasing unto the Lord. and the rest of the book as well. Because we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to light. Because we've been reconciled to the Father. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Because He made us alive again with Christ, canceling the record of debt, disarming the rulers and principalities. He raised us with him, so let's seek the things above where he is seated, and because Christ is our lives, let's put on the new man and walk in that way. As we've received Christ the Lord, let's walk in him. Very important to note, this is because we follow Christ. And for those of us who are single tonight, We live out the very same thing in relation to God. Wives, in submitting to husbands, where do we learn that? In our submission to God. Very important for singles to note this tonight as well. It also flows out of that. If we are single and we are struggling to submit to a perfect God, then we will not submit to an imperfect husband. Are you with me? This is where we learn that. This is where that flows out of. And men, beware of that. If we are looking for soulmates to walk the rest of our lives with one another, if she struggles to submit to God and follow God, who is perfect, you are in trouble. Because you are imperfect. Good luck. Same with the wives. If we are looking for a husband, what characteristics should be there? Where does he learn to love well, to serve, to be gentle and kind? In serving God and His people. If you cannot serve God in love, if you cannot serve the people of God in love, He will not serve you in love. Are you with me? Be wary of that. Be careful of where we find what we're looking for. Because this flows out of a relationship with God. This is what He expects of us. And many times we make the mistake in doing this the wrong way around. This scripture says because we love God, because we follow God, because we want to please God, that makes us live in a certain way to those around us. It makes me live towards my husband in a certain way. It makes me live towards my wife in a certain way. It makes me live towards my children in a certain way. It makes me live towards my parents in a certain way. It flows out of my relationship with God. Because I love God, I serve those around me in a specific way. And many times we do it the other way around. Instead of doing our relationship with those around us for God, we want a relationship with God because of our current relationships not working well. Are you with me? So instead of just obeying God, we see all of the sudden, shucks, our relationship isn't working well anymore. There's some disagreement. There's some arguments, there's some fighting going on. Whether it's a romantic relationship, husband and wife, whether we are dating, whether it's with our parents or our children, all of the sudden, Something isn't lacking anymore. And now I want to go and see what God says so that he can quickly come and fix this for me. That's the other way around. That's not gospel based. That doesn't flow out of my relationship with God. But my intention in drawing near to God is based upon my current relationships not working. They're with me. We many times do that in different areas as well, not just specifically related to relationships. But whatever we deem very important in life, business, health, finances, whatever the case might be, if it gets a little bit shaky, we run to God. We wanna rub the lamp and see if the genie pops out. He's gonna grant us three wishes, So you with me? Instead of doing life out of a relationship with God. But now the question, how would we know? Because unfortunately, as humans, we're very good in justifying ourselves, kind of deceiving ourselves a little bit, with what our motives truly is, why we are doing the things that we are doing. So how would we know? Because it's going to look the same. Two people doing the same thing, but for different reasons. So how do we know? The first indication that we can get is to examine our time in the Word and our time in prayer. Is it fluctuating often? Now, none of us will have like a perfect prayer life, for perfect devotion to God because we're sinful human beings. If you have one, say thank you to God. But is there a lot of fluctuation? And why the fluctuation? Does it seem that every now and again there's trouble in my life, there's some conflict with the people around me or there's stress and whatever thing out there. Now all of a sudden I pray, now all of a sudden I worship, now all of a sudden I gather with God and His people. Because then we're doing it the other way around. Also, the content of our prayer lives also reveal a lot about us. What are we praying for? What are we praying for? You see, many times the content of our prayer lives kind of gives the indication that the purpose of prayer is the comfort of man. God gave us prayer so that we can inform him what we need so that we can be comfortable. That's not the reason for prayer. It's the will of God. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Amen. Amen couple of things that can give us indication, but now, kind of the crux of the matter, for us as individuals or as households, here's the real question. What is the most important thing? What shapes us most? When we ask that question, when we remove the gospel, what changes? Is it a lot of things or is it only a couple of things? What's really at the foundation? What are the things that we don't compromise for? What are the things that we show and teach our children? What was the thing that was modeled to us? What did our parents teach us? What did they show us? What was there no compromise on? Everything else can change, but this we will do. Whether we need to take leave, whether we need to invest, when it's gonna cost us something, doesn't matter, this will happen. What are those things? Is it God? Is he the thing that we do not compromise on? Do we plan our lives around God or we fit God in to where we have space? And many times we do that. Look at the calendar for the year, look at where we have leave, where there's long weekends, where there's family vacation. Okay, this one's getting married then, that one is having a birthday then. And after having all of that planned out, okay. There's eight Sundays left, and man, if it's not cold, we're gonna hit the church hard that weekend. Are you with me? Or do we plan around the things of God? Is that why we really shape our lives? You know, some of us, we would do for ourselves and for our children, and the same with our parents as well. They would move mountains for certain things, certain things that has to happen. Whether it's school, whether it's some sport, We did some activity that we are busy with. But man, we'd move mountains to see that this thing takes place. We would ride to Cape Town if we have to. We'd take leave if we have to. But this needs to happen. Is the same true when it comes to the things of God? Is it really the most foundational? You know, for some of us, maybe it's exercise. Man, we would move mountains, but we are going to exercise. There is no way that we're missing that. We're gonna do everything. We'll get there. And if we're feeling kind of sick, we're gonna see maybe it's just a thing that we're going through, but we're gonna do that. For some of us, it's literally TV shows. Some people are devoted to TV shows. And they'll take leave if they have to. I'm I'm serious. But we're gonna watch that. That's coming out that thing. We can't miss it. Or for certain sports, you know, certain people stayed up a little bit later last night than usual, maybe to watch the rugby or whatever the case might be. And if that means we die tired tomorrow and we miss church, that's okay. Why? Because this is more foundational to us. Interesting to see. And again, it's very times confrontational, staring at the mirror and seeing what's truly really in there. But God expects of us not to look away. Because as we also see through this book, That the answer is when we are confronted with certain things that's in our lives, the right answer is not to pretend that they're not there anymore. It's not to decide, okay, Lord, sorry, I'm going to start to long for something else now. That's not how it works. We need to take it to God and see, Lord, I I see that I'm viewing something in the wrong light. And it could be a good thing. It can be a good thing. But when we make a good thing an ultimate thing, it destroys us and we destroy it as any from Shofar Joburg says so beautifully. Whenever we idolize something, it will destroy us and we will destroy it. It will be destructive. And it can be a a good thing. But we shouldn't make that an ultimate thing. And to ask God, Lord, I'm seeing this thing, but show me the reality of it. I'm trying to find life in something that cannot give life. That's why relationships are many times destructive. You're seeking life in in the wrong place. It's kind of like two trees being... Ripped out of the ground and being plugged into one another and thinking that they're going to bear fruit. It's not how it works. We need the ground and then next to one another we can bear fruit. But God is the one that gives life. And to ask God, Lord, show me. I'm seeking life in the wrong thing. Show me the beauty of who Jesus is. Show me the beauty of what Jesus has done. And as we reflect on these couple of things, I'm going to just give us a minute to maybe just answer that question. For ourselves. But what is the main goal? What is the priority? What are you working towards? What's the thing that you're not compromising for? What is that? Answer it for yourself. And again, we don't need to do a lot of thinking. We just reflect on the last couple of months of our lives. It will give us an indication, like we saw a couple of weeks ago. And Look at where you spend your time and your money and it will tell you who you worship. But what are those things? Why don't you compromise on? For those who our parents, what do we teach our children? we would teach them anything. We teach them how to ride bikes, how to play certain sports, how to get a good ed- education, how to study well. Do we do the same when it comes to the things of God? Do we do the same? You see, my children might go to sleep A night of two without brushing their teeth, But there will not be a night when I'm present with them that we would not spend time in the word and I teach them how to pray. Because that is foundational. We don't compromise on that. Doesn't matter how tired I am, doesn't matter how sick they are, we do not compromise on that. I might miss my own quiet time because compromising your own spiritual life, that's something, but compromising the spiritual life of our children, that's something else and to allow God to come and show us. But what are we teaching them? Many times we tell them, you know, God is the most important thing, but yet when it comes to compromise, He's the first one to go. He's the first one to go. The first thing to be shifted aside so that we can get to all the other things. But what are we teaching them? What's most important? As we (coughs) consider that, Let's take a look at these four verses and see how Paul structures them and see how it looks like when each person places God first and lives out the gospel in our homes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And it's an interesting thing that Paul does here. You know, the manner in which he places it. He speaks to the wives and then he gives them a reason for doing a certain thing. Then he speaks to the husband and gives them a way of doing a certain thing. Then he speaks to the children and again gives them a reason for doing a certain thing. And then again he speaks to the fathers and gives them a way of doing a certain thing. So for the husbands, there's a way of doing a certain thing. And for the wife and the children, there's a reason for doing a certain thing. And the reason is because this pleases God. This is fitting in the Lord. This is what God expects of you. And Paul's doing a very smart thing. He does the same thing in Ephesians 5. He first speaks to the wives and then he addresses the husbands. And it also gives a reason for the wife of why she should do a sin thing and again gives for the husband a way of doing a sin thing because he knew we are going to misinterpret this. We're going to abuse this. We're going to not understand this the way that we should. And so firstly, to look at the wife. It says, do this because of God. And the thing that we should understand here is when we are married to a husband that's maybe harsh with us, With us, I'm obviously excluding myself, but you know what I mean. I'm not married to a harsh husband, (laughs) to a lovely wife, but nonetheless, if we have a harsh husband, it's easy to say and to misinterpret this for the wife and to say, no, I would like to, but because of my husband's way of life, I'm not going to. He's disabling me from doing this specific thing, and God says, no, that's not the problem. The problem is your relationship with me. Because although he might make it difficult, although it might be more difficult in certain context and with a certain person, the reality of it flows out from God. The gospel produces in us the ability and the willingness to do this. As Paul said, when God calls him to do a certain thing, he does it with all his power that he mightily works within me. In Philippians 2 from verse 12, we read, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He gives us the ability and the willingness. Die in Afrikaans to do this. And very important for us to understand here. And when it comes to the wives, again for the singles, we can relate this in our relationship with God. But there's a specific Greek word that's used here. It's not the word obey. That's the word in verse 20. Obey. But in verse 80, submit. It's two different words. And when it comes to submission, in the old Roman context, how they used to use it, they used to use the word obey. Because you must, because your husband says so. That's not what this word means. Submission means willingly placing yourself under someone else's authority for them to lead, willingly. And there's a a perfect example of this. There's a story about a lady taking a a, a child to the doctor, and as they're sitting in the room, the child is busy running around and causing some chaos. And eventually the mother tells him, hey, come and sit. And the child doesn't listen, he continues, and she says, listen here, certain part of your body is going to burn a little bit more if you don't come and sit. And because of fear of punishment, the child comes in, he sits. And he looks at his mother and he says to her, I just want you to know, in my head, I'm standing. That's not submission. And for, for those maybe in marriage, you can relate to a time where that maybe might have been the case. I just want you to know, in my head, I'm standing. I'm doing it now, but I don't want to. That's not what God expects of us, a willingness. A willingness to submit, a willingness to place myself under someone's authority for them to lead me. And again, ladies, if you do not trust the man that's leading you and you don't want to willingly submit to him, why would you marry that person? Don't do that. Don't do that. Know what you're committing to. Marriage is a very, very beautiful thing, a very, very holy thing, but also a very, very challenging thing. There's nothing that will challenge you more, there's nothing that will shape you more. Why? Because it's the place in life we have the opportunity for the most selfishness. There's constantly someone else that God says you must consider and put first. And you're going to be with them always. So there's always going to be opportunities for selfishness. And we struggle with that because we want to place ourselves first. Be very careful who you follow. And again, guys, if we're looking for the girls, someone that doesn't do this in light of a perfect God will not do that in light of an imperfect husband. Ladies, if you wanna learn this well, learn this if you're single in relation to God. To willingly submit to him and to willingly follow him so that we can apply that and live out the gospel in that way in our marriages one day. Because we are embodying something, Jesus' obedience to the Father and the church's obedience to Jesus. We are living out the gospel. It's one of the best things we can do for our children to model the gospel for them in the way we we live our lives. Then we're gonna quickly take a look at children and then jump to the husbands and the father. I'm gonna just briefly pause here with the children. We're gonna take a look at that in a couple of weeks, having a two or three week series where we specifically focus on raising children well. But here it says to the children the same thing. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And you might say, no, but my dad provokes me makes me feel discouraged. He's always nitpicking, always finding fault. And God says, yes, that might be the case. That might have an influence. But the primarily reason why we do this is out of our relationship with God. If you are constantly in conflict with your parents, it might not be their fault. It might be our relationship with God. Don't hear me wrong. I understand that there's context where people act and do some strange things. I'm not saying that we should endorse that. I'm not saying that we should be okay with that. Because this scripture also implies that we understand that the highest authority is God. He's not saying wives do whatever your husbands tell you even if it's not in line with the will of God. No, we obey God first. He's not saying children do whatever your parents tell you. No, if it's not in line with God's will then we don't do that. But we still honor them. Are you with me? God's authority comes first. But there must be a willingness in our hearts to live out And obedience to our parents in such a way that it shows them something of the gospel. And I know for a lot of us, the younger generation, it's kind of the the fruit of revival. Our parents coming out of this traditional Christian background. And many of us are longing for our parents to get saved. Praying for them, wanting God to come and save them and change them. This is one of the ways that we can actually live out the gospel in how we relate to them. How we listen to them. How we obey and honor them as it is fitting in the Lord. Or to agree or something that's out of line with Scripture, but nonetheless to live in this way. Amen? And they go going to introspection. And again, if this was not the case, what does Scripture expect of us? To repent before God and to go to our parents and say, hey, I want to say sorry. Sorry that I did not always obey. Sorry that I was rebellious. Sorry that I do not always honor you. I want to apologize for that and ask you to forgive me. That's what the Scripture expects of us. Amen? Could be confrontational, but nonetheless. And also if you get to the husbands and the fathers part as well, to go and have a chat. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents as well. I'm Becoming discouraged, you're always nitpicking, always finding fault certain things that you do provoke me. Go and have that conversation with one another. But we're going to look in just a moment at a a verse that I just want to leave with us as we go and do that. But fathers, here it comes, husbands and fathers. Like I say, for the wives and the children, there's a certain reason for doing something and for the husbands, a certain way of doing something. Why? Because God wants us to exercise the authority that He gives us in a godly manner. Not to abuse it, not to misunderstand it. And He says here, do not be harsh with your wives. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 puts it beautifully. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So God is saying, in the way that we lead, we must do it always in consideration to the people we are leading. Not selfishly, but considerate. Putting the other first, considering them first and constantly. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Consider them in the way that you lead. Do not be passive and do not be overly aggressive because both of those things are gonna provoke them to anger or make them discouraged. You know, and when we look at the world around us and when we look at the youth, And the younger generation, we see those two things. They are either angry or discouraged. Either raging or full of despair. We see that around them. And again, here's also a place for compassion. We're gonna get to that in a moment. Because certain fathers want to, but they can't because they are not filled themselves. We cannot give what we do not have. In every one of these examples, we need to receive the gospel so that we can live out the gospel. So if there's certain frustrations or certain angers building up, have compassion. They cannot give what they do not have. They cannot live out what they never saw. They cannot give what they did not receive. And that makes us act towards them in a different way. Amen? But for the husbands here, consider the way you lead. Consider your wife. Consider your children. And again, ladies, if you are looking for a husband to marry, if he doesn't consider God and his people, he will not do so you. Why? Because that flows out of a relationship with God. It flows out of that place. To such a strong extent that in 1 Peter 3 verse 7 it says, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, because she's co heirs with you to the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. In other words, if you do not live in this way with your wife, God will not listen to your prayers. That's quite a strong statement. That's how much it flows out of a relationship with God. That God says, if you don't do this, if you don't live in this way, I will not listen to your prayers. Why not? Why does God say that? James 4 verse 3 says that you pray and you do not receive because you ask selfishly to spend it on your own motives. And God says, The husband that doesn't live with his wife in an understanding way is a selfish man, and I will not listen to that prayer because it's self centered, self focused. I've called you to consider those around you. Consider your wife, live with him in an understanding way. And it's so perverted by the enemy that there's a saying the world has to justify not doing that. And it's what? Who can understand women? Have you ever heard that? But who can understand him? The man that is willing to. That's who. If you're willing to. If you go to God and say, Lord, lead me so that I can understand. I can promise you, he will help you do what he has called you to do. He will make you able and willing to do that. But if not, God will not listen to our prayers because we're not considering those around us. And we're seeing this in two ways. And again, we can apply this to discipleship as well, and how we handle the people around us as well. But one, in selfishness and emptiness, the men understanding this the wrong way. In the Western culture, we see this many times, that what the selfish, empty man thinks, submission is, and what it means for him to be the head of the house is for the wife to serve him constantly, to do everything. Well, he just sit back and relaxes. No, that's not what it means. And Paul in Ephesians 5 explains this beautifully. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting to the Lord's Husbands, do what? Lay down your life for your wife as Jesus did for the church. Man, that's a high call. Man, that's a high call. Lay down your life for your wife as Jesus did for the church. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. When the feet was washed, who had the towel around his waist? Jesus. Husbands, you are the one that's called to serve. You are the one that's called to lead in that way. But you cannot do that if you're empty. You need to receive the gospel to live out the gospel. Ladies, if he doesn't serve the church, he will not serve you. If he doesn't serve the bride of Christ, he will not serve another bride of Christ. Are you with me? Very important for us to know this, to see this. It flows out of that place. And then the other spectrum for both husbands and for parents alike, when it comes to children as well, there's an unhealthy way of serving them. See, Jesus serves us in a way that enables us to follow God better. He comes, he sees, he's understanding, he knows what we're going through, he has sympathy with that, but then he serves us in a way that helps us serve God better. But there's an unhealthy way of serving where we do everything for everyone. And where we serve our children in such a way that we give them everything and we do everything for them. And we do not teach them to do it on their own. We don't serve them so that they can do it on our own. We do it for them. And we give them any, everything just because we can. And that disables them because it's not how the world works. And eventually they have to stand on their own two feet, but they can take responsibility for nothing. They can't do anything because dad always did it for me. Mom always did it for me. And we many times don't allow reality to discipline our children. God comes and he disciplines us through reality. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. A loving God. But he gives us the word to explain why that happens. Many of us maybe have experienced this. You went to school, whatever, you didn't do your homework or that assignment, or whatever the case might be. And instead of bearing the consequences the next day, mom or dad stayed up all night and did it for you. And in that way, they're serving you, but in a way that disables, that doesn't enable. If you stayed up with them and they helped you work through that, yes. After certain parts of your body also burned a little, yes. A healthy way to enable us to follow God. That's what God has called us to do so that we can live out the gospel. And again, the father is embodying something here. The husband is embodying something here. Jesus laying down his life for the church. The father disciplining us out of love so that we can live out the gospel in our arms. Amen. And as we consider this, and firstly, like I said, to do introspection and allow God to come and deal with where we've done wrong, where we've treated people wrong, where we've responded in the wrong way because of our relationship with God, to first forgive us, but then we must go to them. And have a couple of conversations. But how do we do that? And i want to leave this verse with us as we go going to do that. And it's Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14. The text that we looked at last week. And it says the following. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's the gospel. God chose us. He made us holy because he loved us. In light of that, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another forgive each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony amen let's do that in light of the gospel and as we receive grace and mercy and compassion we can extend grace and mercy and compassion let's stand tonight pray together